Welcome to the Sales Development Podcast, your go-to resource for all things pipeline and revenue production in the tech sales world. Technology marketing, sales development, sales, and revenue operations have combined to create the go-to market engine fueling the success of SaaS startups and established companies alike. Each week, the Sales Development Podcast dives deeply into the strategies, tactics, people, processes, and technology that fuels the revenue machine. The Sales Development Podcast is brought to you by Tenbound. Get more free resources, insights, and intelligence today at tenbound.com. And be sure to like and subscribe on YouTube. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I'm David Delaney, your host, and I'm joined today by Brennan Cassidy, who is a legend in our space. Okay, we're going to dive in on this, but this man has created more opportunities for people and has absolutely crushed his roles in the sales industry for what's going on quite a bit of time. We won't say how long, but it's absolutely great to have you here, Brennan, and thanks for jumping on. Yeah, thanks, David. You know, excited to be on with you. You and I have known each other for a long time, never done a podcast together. So I guess that's the, if you know each other, you got to do a podcast these days. (laughs) All right. So everybody get out a notepad and like pen or pencil if you're old school or whatever you use, because you're going to want to take notes here. Okay. So Brendan, tell us about how you got into your sales career and then what you're doing now at CoSell. Yeah, I won't go back. I won't name years, but all the way back to sort of just before the dot-com bubble sort of burst. So, you know, 2000, sort of around there is when my career started. I actually started out as a recruiter. We were working with, you know, startups, venture-backed startups, some bigger tech companies, but mostly startups around like, you know, 2000, which I think maybe one or two actually survived (laughs) the, you know, sort of three to four year period post.com bubble. But, you know, sort of build my network there, learned a lot and also learned, you know, as the tech market imploded, I don't know how much you remember from that time, but like literally the whole thing just went away basically (laughs) and everybody left, right? So it's not that dissimilar to kind of, you know, sort of the pandemic-y, you know, some of the migration out of the Bay Area, there's a complete migration out of the Bay Area, literally where the commute from like Mountain View to San Francisco went from like 60 minutes to 30 minutes in like three months. Anyways, learned a lot, and that was a great place to learn how to survive, right? And learn what's the level to survive in that kind of climate and built a network there and always knew I'd probably get go into the sales side. And so I started off as like an SDR at this company called OnStore many years ago, which was sort of in the sort of storage, network-attached storage space, which I knew nothing about before that. And I was like the only SDR, and we had one sales engineer, and then we had like four salespeople. And I noticed that myself as the SDR and the SE were doing like 90% of the work. The sale, you know, was very much in that traditional old school enterprise, you know, sales reps are taking prospects to dinner and dancing and whatever else. And so I was like, man, like, I feel like we'd maybe even be in a better position if I just continued the customer relationship, <laughs> considering we've done, you know, 75% of the work. And so, you know, sort of there, I thought, I think I could sell if I'm given the opportunity. I think I could sell probably better than a lot of these people. And then, you know, went to this company called Spoke Software back in the day, which was sort of like a jigsaw competitor and funded the same time as LinkedIn. And that was a great experience, not a super successful company, but a successful experience for me. Moved, you know, ultimately from like an individual contributor into the leader of that team. 
And then LinkedIn recruited me back in like 2005. Mm. Cold called me, ironically, somebody high up and was like, yeah, we know we want to sell something into recruiting. Obviously you have spoke, you have your recruiting background. Seems like a perfect fit. Went into LinkedIn, met Reed and all those people's early. It was like 20 employees and turned it down initially. I got promoted again at Spoke. (laughs) And then about 60 days later, I was just in the office by myself one night, just looking at them sort of side by side. And I was like, yeah, we lost. And they're not even trying to do anything here. (laughs) They're just, you know, sort of the data set that LinkedIn had in this sort of organic opt-in viral. There was no competing against it. And it was not going to get better over time. So I came, went back to LinkedIn. LinkedIn brought me in. And I said, hey, I've kind of changed my mind. I don't know if it's too late. And it wasn't too late. And so I came in as really the first go-to-market employee on the corporate solutions side for LinkedIn. Asked to build that team with no real product or resources at that point. I mean, obviously, LinkedIn had this consumer internet product and some sort of online premium options. And they were like, hey, if you could figure out a way to make this like 15, 20% of the overall revenue stream, that would be a win. Obviously, my goal, and LinkedIn is very much a consumer internet company at that point, right? The mentality, which anyone that knows that mentality is very different than enterprise sort of B2B <laughs> software. It's sort of a field of dreams mentality, right? If you build it, they will come. Like, And the, even the concept of selling something is like, what? Why would you need to sell something? Just build it and they'll show up, right? <laughs> sort of that mentality. And so, yeah, so I set out to said, hey, let's go beat all the, you know, their three revenue streams were advertising revenue, online revenue, and then us. And then we became the predominant revenue stream of the company, which exists to this day. It's almost entirely driven by corporate solutions, which is recruiting sales. But that was a great experience. And obviously that was, you know, in a room on a whiteboard trying to figure out, you know, a pitch and a narrative that didn't exist and really create a new category for recruiting, which we did. And so that was, you know, a big confidence builder for me in my career. And then after that, Jason Lemkin recruited me to be the VP of sales at EchoSign, which at that point was like a 15-person startup, maybe less, and sort of the digital signature, electronic signature, digital electronic document space. And we took that from like two to 70 million, something like that, over a course of time, acquired by Adobe uh, in 2011, spent close to three years at Adobe post-acquisition, which was good experience just to take a mental break. <laughs> and then after that, I was the fifth employee for a company called TalkDesk, which is in the customer support cloud, now worth $10 billion, probably less on the secondary market in reality right now, but help them. I was the founding part of the founding group as an advisor for a company called Gong, which is in helped was basically me and the CEO, sort of bringing our first 50 customers together, crafting our narrative and pitch, everything. And then I've advised and consulted for probably, you know, I'll stop 70 startups through the years, right? And now obviously co-founder of this company called CoSell, which is about how to really kind of put sort of relationship capital and referrals at the front of how we sell instead of resorting to sort of brute force automation and mass emailing and cold calling and all that kind of stuff. That's just want us to be more strategic because I think We're at a point now where we really don't have a choice, right? Everybody's been prospected to the same way with the same sort of messaging and all this stuff so many times that you should do it, but it's really hard to go from where you want to go just on the backs of that anymore. You're going to need to be diverse and multifaceted in your go-to-market approach and most aren't. Okay. So I want to dive into that. 
But one thing there's been like a pattern is that you come in and you try to figure out the go-to-market for a company. And what's your process like when you come in? Is it a process? Is it an empty whiteboard? How do you go about coming up with the Obviously, the track record speaks for itself. Yeah, I don't know that I have a book on the process that I wrote. You know, maybe I should. I don't know. I would actually have to sit down and like define exactly what that is, right? For me, it all starts with sort of narrative and story. You know, can you tell your story in a way that's like sort of universally understood by anyone? You know, like I always tell people, like, it's amazing how many companies I've sort of helped or advised or whatever. And you get in there and they're like, they really have a hard time articulating what they do, actually. They have a hard time articulating what they do. They have a hard time articulating what the problem is. It's almost like there's like a sort of cascading sort of domino effect, I view it, right? Which is like, if you don't know what the problem is, you can't possibly know what the solution is. And if you don't know those things, none of the other stuff's possible, right? Like you have to come up with a narrative and story that's impossible to misunderstand. It's just blunt force, black and white. Here's the problem we solve, right? Or here's the problem and this is how we're going to solve it. And you put a flag in the ground and you... Either that's aligns with where the market already is, or that's where the market's going. And that's obviously so many startups, it's not that obvious yet, right? We're like, hey, what's the, a lot of, you know, early days of Gong, nobody was sitting around being like, oh, God damn, I just need a call recording platform, right? That helps me uh, sort of summarize what my salespeople are talking about. Nobody was saying that, right? So it was all about saying, here's the problem, right? Here's a solution to that problem that sort of addresses it in a way that's never been done. And it's a no brainer. Why would you not do this? Right. Sort of that narrative around it. I would say a lot of it is what's the problem. Can you explain the problem in a way that's impossible to misunderstand or interpret? There's certainly going to be layers to the problem that are more than one or two sentences, but like you have to start there. And I'm a huge believer in that. And that's generally worked. With the companies that you have consulted, do you ever come in and the problem is just not painful enough? Or do you ever get into a situation where there's just not enough there to be able to tell us a compelling story? And I won't name any names. But <laughs> I would say I don't know that I've ever had a job full-time, like a job that I took as a VP of sales, where we couldn't at least come up with a compelling problem and story. I mean, sometimes what you're saying the problem is and how you're solving it, it's not 100% aligned with like, it's not like, I mean, that's what you're doing. You're trying to push a narrative, right? You're taking a problem. Like I'll use the example of Gong or I'll use CoSell, you know, 18, 24 months ago. Everyone was like, yeah, referral selling and relationship capital. That's a good idea. We should do it now. You'll see a lot of the narrative where people are talking about, this is just has to happen now, right? Like we've exhausted all the other channels, right? And so it's sort of similar in that way. And yeah, I would say Gong was like, you could probably ask 10 different people, what problem does Gong solve? They might have 10 different answers, but we started with like 75% of all salespeople fail. That was the problem. And, you know, obviously we're attaching our, <laughs> why? Because, you know, the vast majority never actually make it out of new hire onboarding. They never ramp. Oh, why do they never ramp? Well, you know, like they never actually really learned how to do the job successfully. Right. And so then obviously you can sort of attach Gong to that kind of narrative. And that was a big part of the sort of problem statement, problem statement in the early days, still a big part of the problem statement for them. But yeah, I've seen many startups where you're like, what's the problem? And they're like, huh? You're like, what's the problem? And they're like, I don't know. And you're like, okay, well, like maybe you shouldn't have done this, you know, that kind of thing. You know, it's like, 
there's a reason why 90 out of 100, maybe more, 90 to 93 out of 100 startups don't make it. And there's, you know, a multitude of reasons why, but there's four or five that are pretty core, mm-hmm. you know, one of which is you're either too early or too late, or there's no early or late, you were just wrong, right? <laughs> you know, about what the problem and what the solution and the opportunity is. And so, yeah, I've seen many of those startups through the years and I've been, you probably have as well. You've probably been offered jobs at many of those startups through the years and you were like, yeah, you're not going to do it, right? Like, you know, the older you get or the more accomplished you get, the more risk averse you are. And so I tell, you know, I've helped a lot of startups, startup founders sort of hire, you know, like how do I hire my first VP of sales or first head of sales? And they always have like big aspirations, right? You know, here's my top 10 list. And you're like, okay, none of them are coming. So who's your next 10, right? (laughs) And they're like, well, why not? I said, because no one's ever heard of you, right? (laughs) And you don't have a lot of customers and, you know, you're a lot more risk for them than he or she is for you. (laughs) That's it, right? (laughs) Anyways. And so if they can articulate the problem to you, is that a good sign for you when you start to talk to them? Yeah. Yeah. Can you articulate the problem in a way that like a non-domain expert could understand, right? Which is quite frankly, mostly usually us, right? If somebody's talking about a security problem, you and I are not experts on that, right? (laughs) Like, yeah, you have to be able to say, it's simple. You know, the problem is that companies fail because of this reason and Here's the behavior change that we think can help solve it. Maybe not solve it all the way, but help solve it. And this is how we're doing it. But there's a lot, you know, in today's world, right? None of us get the sort of Salesforce 1999 scenario, right? Where you're like the only SaaS company selling into a space with one competitor. Now you have a thousand other companies trying to vie for attention with really the same number of potential buyers, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's what's obviously that has spurred this era of, Right. We're marketing, sort of driving demand gen through marketing, which used to be the norm, doesn't work anymore, period. Right. And now people have to go, you know, go to 10 bound or whomever else, right. And take this sort of outbound, you know, we need to manufacture a market approach, which is hard, really, really hard. Right. Most, as you know, right. Most will not succeed in that endeavor. Mm-hmm. It's diminishing returns. It's almost like antibiotic resistance, you know. It's not just diminishing returns. It never, you know, Yeah, I've seen some of the greatest SDR organizations ever with teams, people that like were, you know, six or seven of them also became VPs of sales, right? Down the road. And like, you know, if ultimately there has to be some alignment with, you know, sort of your go-to-market approach and the market itself, right? Like, because it's to drive it entirely on the backs of an outbound playbook, sort of brute force automation, sort of manufacture the market approach. And at no point does the market ever be like, yep, okay, we're here now, (laughs) right? You know, we're going to come to you a little bit, right? Never. I can't name a single company in the history of tech or software where that, you know, so really the outbound approach, really, you're just on some level, right? You're trying to buy yourself time (laughs) and opportunity, right? Because it's, if nobody has any interest in what you do, right? And there's no agreement from the market, like it's indicative that you may be too early or, you know, or these other things. I think that's a big, you know, this, yeah, on some level, like the market has to align with your direction. It's going to be hard to manufacture that from inception to IPO, right? So interesting. I was at a conference yesterday with some really, really experienced CMOs in the tech industry. And they were saying that even at these big companies, Inbound has stopped. 
you know, recently, and we're just not getting any inbound. And so being old school, it's like my initial thought is we got to go outbound. And people were asking them, you know, in the audience, like, what are you going to do? And I think the best response one of them came up with was direct mail. We're going to send direct mail, right? And I was like, like, I don't know. Yeah, dropping uh, flowers and donuts off in the lobby and all that. Yeah. Not dissing those solutions and stuff, but you identified this issue and now you're trying to solve this problem with COSA. Yeah. So like my basic, it's at this point, you know, I'm really focusing on sort of unsolved problems in my career, right? You're like, oh, you know, you have a list of things you're like, someone should do that, right? You have it on this in the back of your wallet or whatever. And then you know, through the years, you're like, oh, no one's done that, right? Or no one's focusing on that. So I have that list. And this was sort of at the top of the list, which is, you know, which is really just helping the people that I've been talking to and working with for 10 plus years is what is the best way for you to go to market, right? And I'm convinced the best way to go to market is to sort of leverage the people you know, or people around you, and the relationships around you to get in front of customers warmly, right? Warmly and through credible sort of connections because, you know, cold calling and cold emailing, it's not working, right? It's not working for people and it's time for us to take another approach. And the reality is, is we have people around us, investors, advisors, friends, they can help us. They can help us get where we want to go. And it's not about like, how do I leverage my network to go to market or sell or whatever, right? It's not like that's the only approach you take. You have to take you should absolutely go in outbound, right? You should try to drive inbound. You should drive through partners, right? Which is what companies like Crossbeam do, right? Or Partner Hack or whoever, right? You should absolutely do those things. This really, I think, is the most strategic thing, which is, you know, utilize the people around you that have the relationships and the connections to the customers that you want to be talking to. Because their relationships and their credibility are probably worth more than the name of your company in many cases, right? And, you know, if need be, if you have advisors or people that are, which happens, you know, someone like you or me or others, right? People that are well-connected and somebody sells to VPs of sales and marketing and we know about it, just pay them. Just put them on your payroll, make, you know, pay them a monthly subscription, 500 a month, $1,000 a month to open some doors for you and sort of use their influence to help you. It just doesn't make any sense for us to not be doing it that way, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And so, you know... You got to follow the things you have conviction about, you know, and that's something I've done in my career. Like when I have had conviction, I don't care what other people say. Like, I don't care. Like when I was like, I know I'm right about this, that's paid off for me. Like, I don't see any other path here. Now, it's not the easiest problem to solve, by the way, right? So when you talk about leveraging relationships and referrals and the social and professional makeup right? Friction and opportunity and all that stuff that goes into it. But like, that's why it's just like, hey, David, you know, the VP of sales for Gong, can you make the intro? By the way, I'm going to pay you 500 bucks a month to make three intros for me a month. How's that sound? And what you're going to say is awesome. (laughs) I already do it anyways, right? So (laughs) if somebody wants to pay me or sort of recognize my influence to connect two parties, and it's my choice, right? I choose who I work with or who I represent. If I don't believe in something, I'm not going to represent it. But these two parties are coming together now. And it's like, you know, people will be like, well, oh, well, it's just karma, right? No, this is a trillion dollar problem, right? Like, it can't be done on the backs of karma, right? It's like, people got to get paid. There's tremendous value being exchanged 
And so that's what I believe in. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Just talk to my wife. She's like, what do you do all day? I'm like, I'm just waiting for that karma to come back. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I talked to this guy. Uh, Kevin, any day now. Kevin Gaither. I don't know if you know him. He was the CRO for ZipRecruiter. Honestly, one of the smartest sales leaders I've ever met. You know, I've known him or, you know, he's actually from the Bay Area. I went to this sort of poor man, St. Francis called Sarah High School. So oh, that's where Tom Brady went. <laughs> it is. I actually, I'll, hey, I opened it up. I actually played against Tom Brady in high school football. Wow. Okay. Played against him and handed him the worst loss of his football career. We beat him by 56. But nice. Full flowers for what he did after, though. Anyways, he did okay. We'll make him a co-sell. There you go. We'll make he's already a co-sell. Tom, we'll make you a co-sell advisor. You're never going to see this podcast, but hey, I can't remember what I but Kevin Gaither was talking to him and he was like, dude, my belly's full of karma, man. <laughs> right. He said, like, they're not cashing my karma checks. Yeah, like, you know, we've conquered the karma mountain, right? Like, we don't need any more effing karma. Like, just give us some effing money. It's not hard, right? Like, everyone's looking for passive income streams and all that stuff. So if, like, I know probably, like, 5,000 VPs of sales. You probably know 3,000, my guess, maybe more. And if somebody wants an intro, and as long as it's not being overutilized, Sure. What's stuff we get asked to do all the time and nobody gives us a damn thing for it. Right. And so like many of us are just like, yeah, I'm just not going to do it. Right. Okay. I get that. You want the intro. I get what's in it for you. Right. (laughs) You want the intro, but nothing in it for me. Right. Like, and I think that's part of the reason why LinkedIn, you know, which had sort of a referral or an intro button, they just sunset it. Right. Because the people that had the referrals to give or the relationships to give, We're just like, yeah, there's nothing in this for me, right? And so we're now at a point where we're asking the question of like, what's in it for the person that's making the referral? That's been a revelation for me in talking to people like you and Kevin and all these people. They're just like, yeah, I'll take it. Give me, you know, 500 bucks a month, open a couple doors. I already do it anyways. I get nothing for it, right? (laughs) There's a market there now, right? Of people that are like, yeah, if I can drive, you know, sort of, Everyone's got a side gig. So you do, I do, we all do, right? <laughs> all of us are looking to make make money for as little possible effort <laughs> as possible, right? I just believe it's right. So this is really interesting. So are you disclosing to the yes. person that you're getting? Oh, absolutely. Okay. No. You know, we have a product. It's a sort of Chrome extension. It functions inside LinkedIn, allows you to request an intro of anybody, anyone that you're connected to which is great and that's useful and valuable and all that stuff. But obviously getting, you have to have sort of tacit approval on the other side, right? Or ultimately people are like, yeah, like, yeah, I'll make an intro. Like, oh, what's with the second and the third ones though, right? Like, and so what we've done is sort of create this network. We call them like premium connectors. And these are people that are like super connected that have, you know, sort of recognition and brand in these certain spaces and categories. And you make them in, you make them sort of like your private sort of advisory pod or whatever you want to call it. And for eight to 10 intros a month in like in your most strategic targets, that's super value add, right? So if I want to sell to Gong and you know, Jameson Young, the VP of sales for Gong, who I know, by the way, and helped get him that job, right? So, but like somebody wants that intro, not a lot of better people on the face of this planet to get it than through me, Right. In the same way, if I want an intro to, I don't know, pick someone, right? Steve Erbst or someone else, right? Well, guess what? You have that relationship. That's somebody that you know. And so the people with the credibility and the relationships, make them a partner in that endeavor. As long as you're not 
overutilizing it. And this is not a replacement for outreach at all, right? Outreach, it's a different animal. It's saying, what is your most strategic best foot forward path to the market? This should be at the top of your stack. That's what I believe. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, that's what I believe. So I need to sign up right after this. If you want to be a premium connector. Yeah. And so when we have a customer that sells to like, you know, VPs of sales and CROs, we can just be like, hey, here are the people that are part of our sort of premium connector board or advisory board. Who would you want to connect with? And this is what the cost is. And they're like, hey, we'd love to have David Dulaney, right? Or I know that David Dulaney has relationships into the market we want to sell into. And then we would come back and be like, hey, David, Spiff wants to make you a premium connector, 500 bucks a month, make two or three intros a month. Is that something you'd like to do? We feel like there's pretty good crossover with who they want to sell to and who you know. And that's it. And then they pay us, we pay you. And that's it. Basically, it's like, all I'm trying to do is get people paid. (laughs) We already know that demand exists on the other side. Like people want to do it. But what matters is that the people on the other side want to do it too, right? Yeah. This is interesting because it's almost like everything that you've worked up to, you know, in your career has led to the creation of this. And it is. It's one of four or five unsolved problems mm-hmm. that I was talking about. Like, here's four or five problems that I've wanted solved. No one solved them. So I'll try and solve it. There's a few others, by the way, in the pocket. Okay. Can you do anything about graffiti? I hate graffiti. I'm showing my age here, but graffiti is horrible. It never goes away. It's a huge problem. Anyways, so I'll work on that. It's a virtual reality thing. That makes, <laughs> it's an app on virtual reality makes you not see graffiti. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Take it. That's fine. Come on, man. There's no graffiti in San Francisco. Oh you're, not, you're not in San Francisco. You're just south of it. So. Well, it's just so frustrating because like they come once a month and spray it away. And I'm like, okay, I'll give it eight hours and it's back. But anyways, I honestly don't know if that's a problem that I think it's sort of a Venn diagram, right? There's a problem that really is bugging you. Then there's the market's desire to solve that problem. And will people pay you money to solve the problem? Yeah. The first two things that we sort of, the boxes we checked were like sort of do customers want it and will they pay for it? Mm -hmm. And then the second part is like, okay, do the, you're not just selling a product that's going to allow you to like, you know, send out 10,000 quasi-personalized emails, right? There's actually people involved here, right? In every transaction, right? Multiple people in professional networks and social friction and all that kind of stuff. And so that's been sort of the realization of like, hey, there's all these people over here that have the relationships that the people over there want, but you have to make it a win-win scenario. And so that's what this is. It's a two-sided marketplace, right? Which obviously that adds complexity to any business model, right? But LinkedIn was a two-sided marketplace, right? And so the prime, what was most important to read at every time was the network itself, right? The network of people that were never going to pay LinkedIn anything, right? Every decision and priority and preference was given to that community. And anybody that wanted to make money off of that had to be, you know, like, hey, got to be a win-win scenario, right? That's why recruiting, which was, you know, hey, if Salesforce is reaching out to David Dulaney and saying, we want to hire you to run our SDR team, that's a win for David. He may say no. But like we can squint and see the win in every scenario, right? Versus like other scenarios where it's not quite so clear. And you said something really important in that they really were focused on the experience of the free members to make sure that they had a great experience because that's what makes them want to come back and and engage, right? In the community. And then 
the secondary almost was the monetization. Oh, it was secondary, maybe tertiary in some cases, right? It was like, you know, Reed was going to be the gatekeeper to the network. Anything that was going to be shown to them or sold to them, it'd be his decision about what sort of made it to the end of the line. And honestly, like, I think that's probably the most important decisions he ever made in the history of the company were those, was actually keeping people away from the network, mm. you know, because everybody wants to monetize something sooner, right, than later, right? And certainly in Reed's case or LinkedIn's case, there are plenty of people around it, board, investors, otherwise, that wanted to, hey, how do we make money, right? How do we make money off this thing that you built faster, and he didn't, you know, he was just sort of like, it has to be viral. Like there has to be sort of viral growth where we don't have to pay to sort of grow the network and grow the number of users, right? He's like, if you have to buy that, there's nothing special about that. I think that's kind of his mentality around it. Yeah, he was like the one sort of protecting the network of like, okay, show me something that I'll sign off. You know, I want to make money, but not at the expense of that. And that became recruiting, right? Recruiting became, you know, sort of that sort of win-win monetization play. And it worked pretty well, you know? That was the whole pitch was we only sell to like corporate or enterprise. We don't sell to third-party recruiters. We don't sell to recruiting agencies. Oh, okay. We eliminated them in our go-to-market approach because that was the whole pitch was we don't sell to them. We're selling to you, Right so that you don't have to use them. That was kind of the part of the pitch. Is that still the case with the recruiter product? Okay. Initially, you know, that won the market, right? And then eventually you get to a point where you're like, this is long after I was there of where it's like, okay, we just need to, right? Every decision is around, you know, squeezing the juice and optimizing revenue. And so they long passed that sort of point. I'm assuming they probably had sort of different you know, some product limitations around it, one versus the other. But mm. yeah, ultimately, everybody, usually, if you want to be around long enough, usually everybody caves to that. Yeah. <laughs> caves to that, you know. Oh my gosh. Had we not done that, I think it would have been a different outcome. Now people would have been getting reached out to by headhunters being like, hey, I have an opportunity for you at a company that I won't even tell you who, right? And you're like, oh, well, who's that? And they're like, can't tell you, man. <laughs> That's annoying. That's not a win. In the same way that, like, in many cases, somebody asking for an intro, right, of like, of which there's no real gain for you to make the intro. If you're not in the karma market, right, then it's not a win. So that's why I'm just like, let's just dispense with the pl- Just pay them, right? Yeah. They want, you know, they'll take the money. They make the intros anyways. They get nothing for it. Just pay them for their knowledge and influence and, and connections. So that's where we're at, man. I think your phone's going to be like ringing out the hook for people wanting your consulting work after this, every startup. No. But you're focused on CoSell right now. I mean, we're a seed, we're a seed startup, right? So we're not doing the like, let's buy Porsches and, you know, and buy a yacht or anything, right? So we are bootstrappish, right? And then we're in, so, so I actually do have some clients, it's sort of parallel right, to sort of, you know, keep the revenue or keep the inbound revenue where it needs to be. So yeah, I'm not doing a ton of consulting, but I'm doing some consulting. All right. Yeah. So you can uh, field those inbounds and people listening to this go back. And I'm sure that you've done a lot of interviews like this over the years and almost study your approach because I bet there's a lot of startup founders and salespeople out there who really need to hear this. Yeah, appreciate the time. Definitely. If anybody wants to follow up with me sort of offline or, you know, through LinkedIn or whatever, happy to connect. But yeah, appreciate it. 
And uh, it's always great to get on a podcast with a UC Santa Cruz alum. You know, it's my day. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few of us out hey, there. It's not St. Mary's, right? It's not like Harvard of the West, St. Mary's, right? But it's right. great. I've been in a St. Mary's. Not that vaulted. My college, like St. Mary's. I've been on a St. Mary's sort of rebranding effort for about 20 years. So <laughs> <laughs> I've been calling it Harvard of the West, right? Just to see if I continue to say it over and over again. Get some traction. That's like almost like an Ivy League school. <laughs> love it it's a one-man rebranding i love it that's that's (laughs) awesome by the way people think it's pretty funny and some people might believe it and i'll take either reaction you know it is your stock is rising for sure all right man great man well thank you very much we'll see you over it's cosell.co right Uh, cosell c-o-s-e-l-l dot io dot io okay i don't know if we bought the dot co (laughs) domain so i won't speak to that but it is yeah cosell.io yeah, we're obviously, we have companies onboarding and new customers coming in. We're also adding premium co-sellers. So if that's something that's interesting to you, that's 100% upside for you. Okay. Right? And so a lot of what we're doing. Connecting. I'm doing it. I'm going to be on the leading edge of this because I think you're onto something. So. All right, man. Sounds Brandon, great. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.